Welcome to Tax Justice Warriors, the podcast that celebrates the work of low-income taxpayer clinics, focuses on tax controversy work, and looks at related issues in tax news. I'm your host, William Schmidt. All right. Hello, Andrew. This is William Schmidt, the clinic director from Legal Aid of Western Missouri, starting off another Tax Justice Warriors episode. I'm Andrew Belter, clinic director at Wisconsin Judicare Legal Aid. Very nice. Well, it, it turns out we've got some kind of uh, past and, and future news to, to talk through. So there was a Supreme Court case, I think it's pronounced Bachelor, and that's having to do with uh, collection due process and the tax court. And then coming up for us on May 12 to 14 in Washington, D.C., is the American Bar Association 2022 May tax meeting. And that will definitely, that Bachelor case will be a topic of discussion. So we're going to kind of talk about all of it in general and I'll give a little bit of a a preview for the May tax meeting and give a little bit of highlights for what's coming up. So let me know at what point you want to dive in, but we can certainly start with what is the Bachelor case, what are the the facts and and what what had happened procedurally. I would love to hear about that. Uh, okay. Yeah, just um, take it take me through sure. everything, set it up. I mean, I, I know the case, but yeah. That now I I was needing to do some review of like what are the circumstances, but normally there is a 30-day window for filing based on a notice of determination from a collection due process hearing, a 30-day window to file a petition with the tax court. So in the Bechler case, um, Bechler, I believe, is the name of the law firm that was handling this. But for whatever reason, it wound up being that they filed on the 31st day instead of the 30th. So procedurally, the, the tax court has held that this is a jurisdictional deadline. And so they looked at that, said they did not have jurisdiction and dismissed the case in tax court that their, their practice has been, you filed too late, we're sorry, but we cannot hear the case. It is dismissed. So then the law firm, they appealed the case. And um, I don't have it before me. I think it was the Eighth Circuit. That's correct. Okay. Thank you, sir. And once again, they were denied that that circuit also agreed, yes, it is a jurisdictional element for the the timing in that case. And then 
So that was dismissed. They appealed to the Supreme Court and the court granted the writ of certiorari to actually hear the case. So there were oral arguments and, and so on. There were various briefs submitted, pro and con regarding this case. And then most recently, the Supreme Court then um, gave their decision and they actually agreed on the taxpayer's side that the deadline, they, they did a review of the statutory construction for the um, statute, I, I think it's 6330 that applies in the case. They, they really reviewed it and said, yeah, I, I just as an aside, if I think it's better if you're drafting a statute to not use like pronouns or whatever that you just spell out everything that you're wanting to refer to. And in this case, there, there was something like that where, where there was a clause that, that was referring to, um, yeah, I, I, I forget the phrase, I, I don't have it in front of me, but they, they said that their reading of it was different than, than the IRS and the tax court. And so their overall ruling was that it was not jurisdictional, but that equitable tolling could apply, but they were not going to review the facts in the Bechler case to see if there was equitable tolling. They were going to, they um, reversed and remanded the decision. So I'm a little shaky on if, I, I think it was remanded to the Eighth Circuit which I'm guessing may remand it back to the tax court, but I don't, I don't know for sure how this works procedurally, but the lower court will decide the facts in this case, whether there was equitable tolling, but my read on it is that, and, and kind of mixing the metaphors, both that this was the tip of the iceberg for equitable tolling, and it, it may start the, the snowball rolling down the mountain to, to mix those snow metaphors or whatever. But, but um, to open it up for equitable tolling cases, though I have um, been hearing um, one of the people from the Harvard Tax Clinic had been reviewing for these kind of cases. And it's, it's a very small minority that might even fall into the equitable tolling category. So it's, I don't know that it's, it's quite the floodgates opening that, that some people were expecting. So. so you don't think that there's gonna be a big impact in this case? Well, I, I think there will be a big impact. I just think it will be, it may be slow over time, just what the ramifications are. In procedurally taxing, they noted, I think there were three test cases that it may apply to. 
but it it sounded like even out of that there may only be one or two that that there are some effects that that come through so i don't know i i think it will be i think this is a win for taxpayers it's just you know for for another metaphor how how the door gets opened and just what happens i i think it will be a slow process i don't i don't think there will be as many cases that that even qualify to get there but i i think i think it helps and and for one one thing that will be useful is just in essence that that the that equitable tolling does apply and so maybe it can be used in other circumstances beyond these collection due process cases like does does it apply for the the other notice filing with the tax court or or in other areas you know what what can we open up the door for equitable tolling so i hate putting you on the spot but do you think equitable tolling applies for petitioning off a notice of deficiency uh, the 90-day notice well uh, okay yeah there there was a panel on bachelor with the i forget their term for it but the the january meeting the is it the mid-year meeting anyway the earlier meeting in the year for the aba tax section and what they were talking about was that some good cases for equitable tolling are when you can point to that that there was some reason of interference with the taxpayer filing on time. So some circumstances that come to mind are like there was a problem from the IRS or maybe the, the US Postal Service in interfering with, say, the taxpayer receiving the notice or the taxpayer getting it filed on time, you know, it's it's definitely going to be a fact specific piece of like, you know, I, I don't, you don't necessarily have to prove intent that that someone was maliciously interfering with a taxpayer's filing. But I mean, definitely, the more evidence you have where something that was out of the taxpayer's control that kept them from, from filing on time would build a stronger case for equitable tolling. But I think this just applies to the 30-day notice of determination. And isn't that statute for the 90-day right, right. of deficiency completely different yeah, it, and it, a little more ironclad? Yeah, exactly. That that I'm that's what I'm saying that right now it applies for the notice of determination for CDP, but I would certainly see different tax clinics filing cases to say that, you know, making persuasive arguments that you can compare equitable tolling for collection due process cases to innocent spouse or 
other circumstances, you know, trying to trying to open that door was what I was saying that that maybe there are more are more circumstances where equitable tolling could apply. I think it's making those those arguments before the judiciary that you know getting them on board that that equitable tolling is is allowed and, and does apply in, in more circumstances. But but I, I can see, I mean, like the the Harvard tax clinic has been making those arguments for several years in with both the tax court and the, the district courts and or I mean the uh, the circuit court of appeals and they have not been successful but but now that the Supreme Court has said that that equitable tolling does apply in this circumstance you know now the the door is is opened an inch and I, I can see trying to push it open in in other circumstances like okay that's that's given us more fodder and and so we can keep making those arguments and and see what traction we get so what do you think director belter i agree i i think it'll be hard to prove equitable tolling and make a good case like you said pretty fact specific i could see it working for someone who was kidnapped and just couldn't respond for 30 days or someone who was in a car accident and in a coma. I think a court would definitely look favorably on that, but those are two extreme examples. Yeah, I, th I think there was some talk about like the COVID pandemic, but yeah, certainly people are making arguments that overall like hey life was tough for all of us with the pandemic it, it sounded like that wouldn't get them very far but if if they could give more details of like why they specifically couldn't file with the tax court or or whatever the case may be you know then then maybe they have a, a better case but yeah it's it's definitely very fact specific what's you know what's what's a part of it I don't know if I would try it unless it was really strong. Yeah, and I'm I'm thinking too of like, yeah, maybe maybe I'm I'm conflating with with abuse of discretion, but you know, definitely the more facts you have in favor, like like if if you're saying, oh, the IRS interfered, then then yeah, you definitely need concrete examples of like. I mean, it, it almost does sound like intent of where this this IRS officer did something that that truly did interfere with with what I was doing, you know, then then yeah, the more the more proof you have, the better. So any I don't know. I mean that's and that's certainly like there there's already starting to be some some different commentary on the case and you know people people giving their opinions. So, I mean, I, I think I think this is just the start of things and, you know, we, we don't know the full ramifications yet, but. It was uh, unanimous, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, so that's. It was a slam dunk. Yeah, so that's, that's certainly a win for taxpayers in, in that. But yeah, that's, that's generally, 
I mean, my, my surface analysis. So any, any other insights that, that you have on the case or I, I'll, I'll admit like in reading the decision, you know, once, once I saw their, their final ruling, and then I, I don't know that reading through the statutory construction, if that helps people so much as, as what I, I liked their talk about equitable tolling at the end of the decision, I thought that would be more useful to say the tax clinics, but I mean, certainly everyone's opinion will vary. But so yeah, and, and part of this, I've, I've been kind of analyzing it a little bit because I am on a panel for the court procedure and practice committee, May 13th, the afternoon for the 2022 May tax meeting. And, and so we are looking at collection due process cases in the tax court. I'm going to, okay, yeah, update on collection due process cases in US tax court. So very specific, but we do say, we will also cover procedural issues that may arise in collection due process cases when the underlying tax liability might be at issue, including issues related to accessible penalties and in the learning objectives that we are trying to get people to understand the scope of tax court review, identify procedural issues that can occur and explain recent holdings and pending decisions in collection due process cases. And we were a little bit referring vaguely to the Bachelor case as part of what we would discuss, but um, within the panel, we do have certainly people from private practice. We have me from the low income taxpayer clinic program, and we have the tax court involved. So, okay, actually, so the moderator, Jeffrey Glassman from Meadows, Collier, Reed, Cousins, Crouch, and Ungerman LLP, Judge Elizabeth Copeland from the US Tax Court, Chris Jones, Senior Technician Reviewer, Procedure and Administration Branch 4 at IRS Office of Chief Counsel. There's me and then Michelle Swearin from Cape Sokol in St. Louis. And so I, I like that we are coming at this from a variety of different viewpoints. And I've been bringing up some pieces of difficulties for low-income taxpayers, such as while it may not be abuse of discretion for the appeals officer to give their instructions to a taxpayer, um, I was giving the example of like, they need to get compliant for their filing their tax returns for however many years and saying, well, for a low income person, they may not have the, the money to pay a tax preparer or in general have the resources to get those tax returns filed by the deadline. And so it's not taking into account 
the the circumstances of the taxpayer and and so there's that difficulty and in general just saying that taxpayers and even practitioners don't understand collection due process and so if there is better communication on what collection due process is and about prior opportunities to dispute the liability with collection due process when has a person already passed that that chance at, at getting heard regarding the liability in collection due process that that would resolve some things with tax court because people would know what they're doing with collection due process and there would be less cases filed if they realized oh i'm i'm making the wrong arguments before the tax court have you ever challenged the liability through a collection due process hearing i i have not taken it no i i've not filed it as a petition or or taken it further than that i was referred a case from the taxpayer advocate service and I talked it over with the individual and he really just needed to be in currently not collectible status. And, and I asked him like, did, did you have any dispute about the collection due process? And he said, no. So we were just having his, his case dismissed with tax court, but that's, that's it. That <clears throat> I think a lot of people get that notice of determination, see they can petition the tax court and they go ahead and do it. And they don't understand what they're allowed to argue essentially before the tax court that why they're there, what, what they, have already argued with their prior opportunities. And yeah, they, they, they don't understand the process of dealing with their issues. So I, I think several cases go before the tax court that, that that's not really what they're looking for. And yeah, certainly if the tax court is reviewing, was there abuse of discretion by the appeals officer you know, maybe everyone is in agreement that that there was no abuse of discretion. Then I'm I'm sure there there might be some judges feeling like, well, they're they're just wasting their time having the case. That that I I think people, yeah, different taxpayers don't understand the process. With okay, they get their notice of determination. Where do I go from here? In in resolving things with my with my liability they don't understand where to go or or what what collection due process does and and where they are in that process so yeah they're they're confused and the tax court they have more cases than they should because the the people don't understand where they're going would this be a situation where the taxpayer advocate service roadmap would help. Certainly, I. I'm just I'm shamelessly plugging. Oh no no that's <laughs> not but I I agree that 
that the Taxpayer Advocate Service has been helpful in, in providing more material. But part of it, I've been comparing publications and, and notices about collection due process to, to those about the earned income tax credit. And those are colorful, they have pictures, they are, you know, they have more like bullet points and they're, they're easy to understand. While collection due process is, is like block text and easier for an accountant or an attorney to understand what's going on. You know, someone, someone who understands the IRS process, right, like, like an enrolled agent or, or whoever, rather than the common taxpayer to know or, or to, to want to read a, a publication like that, that, that I think it needs to be yeah, clear and simple are, are the main words, I would say, so that, that they understand what's the timeline and, and what are prior opportunities in the process. And so I looked at the annual report to Congress from the National Taxpayer Advocate, and she was making some recommendations about tax court and collection due process cases that, I mean, I, I would agree with her recommendations, but I think just in general, making it clearer to people, okay, you've, this is your final opportunity to argue the, the, the liability amount for your, for that tax year that, that you got the lien or levy notice, you know, when, when you can no longer argue it, make that clearer to people. And, and I, I think, I think it should be fair to say that tax court is your final opportunity based off of collection due process for it to be heard. But, you know, if, if before tax court, they are no longer able to argue that liability, then it should have been clear to them beforehand when that last opportunity was so that they're, they're not trying to argue it anymore. Anyway, those are my, that's a little preview of what I'm going to talk about at the, at the CDP panel. Oh, that was good. I think there's always going to be confusion though, because we see it all, at least I see it all the time where people don't understand petitioning tax court just off a notice of deficiency. They're all worried about how to pay it, that they can't pay it or something. So I think they need to petition tax court and then I have to explain, no, that step comes in next where right now we're just trying to figure out how much you owe and then you figure out if you can pay it, what are the alternatives? So I think there's always gonna be confusion, but some better instruction clarity never hurt. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, there, there ought to be there ought to be a brochure we can hand someone about collection due process, but you know it's it's not out there. I'm I'm gonna check to see if there is one right now. Yeah, I've I've looked, but 
you know, unless unless they came up with a new one in the last year or something. The website probably does an okay job, the FAQs. Can't you only challenge the liability if you didn't receive like a notice of deficiency? Yeah, that's that's part of it. Like it is you, you certainly get more ability to challenge and like more opportunities to to challenge it if, if you never got that notice. But yeah, I, I think there needs to be more clarity of like letting people know, okay, this this is your time to make your argument and this is your last opportunity when you are able to do that. Because I I, th I think the way it's set up, the opportunity passes and and the taxpayer is still wanting to make those arguments, especially at tax court. And and I don't and they're they're often not able to. And and so I I think that's I need to double check if if that's what the national taxpayer advocate was saying, but I I would say that that it should be interpreted to allow them to make that argument at tax court. Even if they received a notice of deficiency already? Well, I'm I'm talking about notice of determination, but but previously, if they received a notice of deficiency and then they go through and then after that they go through the CDP hearing process and then they want to challenge the liability. Isn't that a disqualifier that's because they already had the chance with the notice of deficiency? Yeah, potentially, <clears throat> potentially, or I mean, if if nothing else, it all needs to be better labeled. So, so it's clear, like, okay, you've been notified, you get your chance at this hearing. And then following that, you know, maybe, maybe that is during the CDP hearing. And then in the notice of deficiency, that it would say, okay, you have argued about the liability, you are no longer able to, this is what you are able to petition the tax court about, that I, I think there needs to be clarity so, so the taxpayers understand where they are in the process and you know, what, what the next steps are, what, what they can do from one point to the next. No, I agree, because I, I was asking those questions because I've thought sometimes, about how you would even get to the point of arguing about your liability in a CDP hearing, because normally you, that would come up off of a notice of deficiency, an examination, an audit, something like that. And I finally came across one where a client filed a tax return uh, listing, you know, income or something, and then wanted to say, argue like that shouldn't have actually been on my tax return and did that through a CDP hearing and it finally clicked like oh okay I guess yeah that that's one way to to do it and get the tax court about arguing about a liability through a CDP hearing but yeah I mean in in general I mean there there have been presentations on prior opportunities for collection due process that if practitioners are confused, you know, definitely the taxpayers are confused. Yes. Yeah. And 
I, I, th I think often they're informed that, okay, you, you have had your prior opportunity. And so they're frustrated because it's, it's, it's secretive in, in how it, how it plays out that they don't understand how that, how it happens. And then it, it's like, it pops up that, oh no, it's, it already passed. You can't argue that anymore. And, and so they're frustrated. They, they feel kind of whipsawed or, or something. You know, I, I, I get frustration with the system if it's like, oh, this is this secret procedure between attorneys or whatever that, you know, you, you already missed your chance and you didn't even understand how it happened. And, and too late, it's over. Yeah. That, that they get frustrated. And, and so that's why I'm, you know, just saying, okay, pick, pick whatever point in the process it is, but let's label it clearly for the taxpayers. Hey, this is your, your final opportunity to argue the liability. After this point, it's about procedure. And so they, they understand when and what they're arguing. I mean, I, I think that's fair. I'll, I'll admit something real quick. Sure. I, I still don't know what a collection appeals process is. A cap hearing? Yeah, I, I haven't gone through it. I, I don't know if I've, I haven't heard a lot, but I think I've heard maybe a little both pro and con, some, some mixed r reports. So I don't, I don't know if it's useful or not. Just an example of how we don't even know some of this stuff. Yeah. So in, in general, yeah, I'm going to be at the main meeting. It does feel a little bit like they have the different presentations at set times during the day. So like on the Thursday afternoon and then Friday kind of broken up into three general presentations and then one Saturday morning. So I'm going to try and hit ones like the low-income taxpayers representation workshop on Thursday. I'm going to individual and family taxation Friday morning. Still figuring out what I'm doing Friday for the midday. And then the court procedure and practice in the afternoon. Saturday morning, the pro bono and tax clinics and the plenary luncheon, things like that. So I, I think there will be quite a bit of interesting discussion. So um, certainly attend virtually if, if you're not going in, in person. But the are you going in person? Yeah, yeah. So oh. I'll, I'll be in, in Washington, DC. Yeah, I think I think they have all the presenters there in person. Is very cool plan. So, yeah, there are a lot of people excited that that this is the first in-person meeting for the ABA tax section in like two years. So, yeah, there will be a lot of people excited to be there. So, hopefully, no pandemic issues or anything, but. I think it'll all go pretty well. So yeah.
that's that's generally what I wanted to focus on today. Any anything else to add, Andrew? No, I think we had a good healthy discussion about CDP hearings. Pretty much CDP hearings. Yeah. Yep. So that's that's what I'm going to talk about on Friday, May 13th. Hopefully it's it's not an unlucky day or anything, but yeah, certainly if you're there in person, come say hi to me. And if you're not in person, then check it out online. Should be a lot of great presentations. And yeah, happy we've survived the tax season. So, you know, happy taxing cases from, from now on. All the follow-up letters now can apply for LITC help. Yeah, yeah. All the examinations. Yeah, those doors are open. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. Look forward to our next talk and have a great day. Thank you for listening to Tax Justice Warriors. We have a Patreon page if you'd like to support this podcast. Providing monetary support for this podcast helps with expenses like equipment or travel to tax conferences. Supporting this podcast through Patreon comes with rewards, so check out our Patreon page. Please rate or review this podcast because positive reviews help get more people to know this podcast exists. The views expressed on this podcast are not official opinions of the IRS, the Low Income Taxpayer Clinic Program, or the employers of the people who spoke on this program. Your tax situation is unique, so do not take the statements on this program as tax or legal advice. Consult with your own tax professional to provide you with specific advice on your situation. Tune in next time on Tax Justice Warriors for another interesting tax discussion.